welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. And today we are here to discuss episode 11 of season two, titled The Liar and the Whore. Uh, today I have guest with me, David Green. Uh, I <laughs> we were tied, uh, toying with this and I'm flubbing it up. Uh, you're a fan of the show, fair to say? Yeah. Hey, David. Yes, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a fan of the show. Hi. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, fan of the show, uh, I guess both ways, right? You're, 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 you're a fan of the show Six Feet Under and you are a fan of the podcast as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the show, and I think I'm more qualified as stalker to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's really funny. I, you and I tell you every time I, I I enjoy it greatly. You you send the kind of like I was saying in the commentary that I was commenting on the commentary or the comment blah blah whatever. Uh, yeah. You send a recap of the recap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you and by the way, when you said that the commentary, the commentary on my commentary, the commentary. <laughs> Remember you remember what I said to you in my email? That it was it was meta or something. It was way meta or something along those lines. I said it was uh, Inception level level yeah. meta shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even mean that. That was that's something like a uh, like we were talking uh, uh, doing a commentary that's literally off the cuff. Like you know, it's just like oh shit, what the hell? Um, yeah. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, D- David has been sending his emails in, uh, I want to say since the start. I feel like you caught me as soon as I launched the podcast. Yeah, I did. And you just been, you know, you'd send me your emails. And then uh, something I thought that was the re- one of the reasons why I started to do the podcast on this particular show is because it, it opens up conversation about a bunch of other stuff. You know, who can't relate to just a relationship, a relationship with your mother or one of your brothers or sisters or just something that, that's going on at work and how it affects you. And your emails sort of reflect that because you'll be like, oh, this thing with Keith, whatever. And then it reminds you of this story. This thing happened with Nate and it reminds you of something else too. Um, just talking those emails, whatever, is just kind of opened the floodgates to talk about other stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly relatable uh, kind of thing. I mean, yeah. even if you've never... Even if you've never been in a funeral home, and really, who hasn't? Right. You know, this family and their dynamics and the the way that they're all kind of screwed up. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's a very relatable show. And I guess because uh, to give just the people where you're coming from, uh, just sort of your experience with the show, like first time you saw it or just, you know, how, how you took it in and all that. Well, I was a big fan of Alan Ball just because of uh, American Beauty. Right, right. And... And when I found out he was doing a TV show about a family that lives and works in a funeral home, mm-hmm. I thought, I have to watch that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I watched it live when it aired on HBO wow. originally. I think I caught it at the end, mid-season mid, mid five, in mortuary school, actually. I probably said this on the podcast before. But one of my classes is it was some bullshit class where you get to, like, watch TV. And at the time, we, uh, man, I, I guess I'll remember when we get to the episode, but I know it's in season five that we watched it and then we like sort of broke it down. It was like, it was great discussion material in school, you know, as funeral directors in training to be. Um, but that's cool that you, you watch the whole thing live. I, I imagine, you know, something too I always think with this show is that these shows in like the early 2000s and whatnot, they were meant to be a, a week by week thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not meant for binge watching. Uh, yeah, like Breaking Bad is meant to just fucking next episode, next episode, next episode. Whereas this is supposed to meant to sit in your mind for a little, and you know th- th- those sort of things stick with you. If you're all good, we can get into today's episode. Yep. Uh, again, like I said, this episode's titled "The Liar and the Whore," and our episode uh, aired on May twelfth, two thousand two, and was directed by uh, Miguel Arteta. Uh, our death capsule starts out with a woman calling out for help due to pain, and we see this is uh, where Vanessa, uh, Rico's wife, works. And if I have my analysis correct, and I have I have somewhat the names mixed up here, Mrs. Kapinski shoved her whole hot dog down Mrs. Kirky's throat. I didn't catch their last names, but uh, yeah, I, I know I know our deceased is Kirky. Okay. So, and I, I, if whatever the the other the other woman's name is, but she shoved her whole hot dog 
down her throat because she was complaining, if I have that correct? Yeah, I mean, she was like, I'm in so much pain, I'm in so much pain, I wish God would just take me soon, you know, and, you know, she kind of got what she wanted, I guess. (laughs) I just, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to that point, but I don't even know how you could do that even on someone who's not fighting you, you know? Like, right now, if you... If you t- paid me right now, shovel a hot dog down my throat. I don't even know if I could get that. Like just the just the dynamics of it and the, the the flimsiness of a hot dog, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, and and she would really have to. Yeah, that would take some doing. She would have to open her throat up, like you know, to 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 receive it, <laughs> like whatever you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and it's one of those things too, where where it's a fake out because you see the other woman just totally, you know, she kind of just stares out into space and. She's actually the one who did it that, you know, we learn later in the episode. And again, too, at the end of this death capsule, they're, they're sort of doing CPR on her, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to get yeah. it out. I find it hard that they wouldn't find the hot dog that we see later stuck in there. You know, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because um, I was a Boy Scout and okay. I did and I took first aid. I mean, that's one of the things that you do. And um, they do CPR all wrong. Like completely, <laughs> like like the first thing you do is check the airway. Yeah, right. Know? Yeah, yeah. And this is a nursing home we're talking about. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, I just I found that when they bring it out later in the episode, I just and, and you know part of it, and we'll get to there because I I do have something to say in it coming from a funeral director, but I just couldn't believe it took all the way till to, to to Rico to get you know to Rico to see that it was the hot dog the entire time. Uh, yeah, you know, you always have to give the show its liberties, but and then also too, I, I had noted here that I can't recall a death in the in the show so far. I guess besides Nathaniel's that uh, had this amount of consequences for the show. Oh yeah, because you know, um, I don't know how far ahead you want to get on this, but yeah, Vanessa loses her job. Right, right, and that's and that's. Uh, I guess we see a death from earlier episodes come back. That kind of has you know big consequences as well, but usually usually the death. In in the death capsule will sort of play to like a theme of the episode, but this yeah. one it kind of there's no we don't know much about her. We just you know there's just sort of the the loss well not the lawsuit Vanessa losing her job and being investigated whatnot. Yeah, I found that uh, sort of different for for a six feet under episode. Our episode starts out with David trying to get some clothes ready for Taylor, and we see how David having not been a parent or around kids as much as Keith. Uh, he's sort of already a better parent than Keith. Yeah. Do you think that's fair to say? I mean, his, in his limited exposures thus far, he's he really knows how to work a crowd. And when I say a crowd, I mean Taylor, right? I think for someone like Taylor, who has been taken away from her mother and is now in this completely foreign kind of environment. I mean, Keith is her uncle, but you know, she's she's not at in her home anymore. Right. I think for someone like Taylor, it's actually better for her to have someone like David, who is... You know, maybe calmer, a little, you know, kid gloves, basically. Yeah. Because, I mean, you'll, you'll notice that when Keith comes in and he's very, you know, get dressed, you know, you're going to school. Mm-hmm. She she kind of shuts down and runs out of the room. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least she was listening to David. Right, right. The, the way kind of David says is like, you got to you gotta know when to kind of let her be, kind of let her be bad, for, for lack of a better term, and, and when to demand respect. And... Here it's just you could kind of see like yeah this is not the time to 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 to, to rail on her for for not being ready for school like you know just, just to handle it way way better than than Keith does yeah you know we we see that basically this hostility from Keith is because his dad's coming into town yeah and you know while the anxiety drives up uh, Keith like David says like this isn't a free pass for you to lash out at us or Taylor you know. Uh, I love how this parallels to David coming to the funeral home later and telling Nate, you know, he's like, I'm allowed to be pissed off, aren't I? Can I be pissed off? <laughs> well, yeah, and especially for, for someone like David, who you figure he's on time every single day, you know, if, if he's late one day, you know, cut him some slack. Right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just found it too funny, too, is like he's lashing out the same way Keith did, you know, just sort of coming in and I'm allowed to be mad, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and here we see the, the Fisher funeral home get served with uh, what? It, what is it that they get served with? It's not a subpoena. It's just papers. No, it's, it's, uh, just a, it's, it's a notice that they're being sued. Notice. Uh, <laughs> you know, this made me look up um, uh, what we call this guy servers. This, uh, yeah, this, uh, uh, process servers. I process think. servers. 
I guess I guess to further my question is, and I'm asking you because usually <laughs> you sometimes have like this weird knowledge on something totally uh, inane, whatever. Uh, that job is that a job, and you have to pretend to be all, you know, self serving not self serving. Uh, you know, you have to show up to a job site pretending you're there to work, and you're just like, oh, are you Mr. Smith, whatever, and then bam, papers, and you walk out. I don't know. Have you have you ever been served or anything like that, like uh, through a process no. server? I've never been served myself, uh, mm-hmm. thankfully. Um, <laughs> when I lived in L.A., we had a neighbor who, ser- uh, who served the the guy that I was um, that I was roommates with. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had him served, and it was just this random guy who came up to the door and you know knocked on it, and I actually answered, and she said, "You know, are you are you this person?" Yeah. And, no, actually, it was a guy. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and says, "Are you this person?" I said, "No, let me go get him." And so I went and I got him and. You know, it was very quick. It was very informal. It was very emotionless. Like, this is just what this person was here to do. You know? Hmm. Now, I don't know if it's a job or if you... Well, I have to imagine it, someone is, is tasked to do this. Like, I assume after they serve the Fishers, he's going to serve, you know, the Smith down the street or whatever, you know? Yeah, he could be. Yeah. Just something I, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, but we see here that they are getting served. Papers from... Uh, from Back to the Garden, episode seven fame, Mrs. Collins, who's suing mm-hmm. the Fishers for emotional distress. And if you just remember the scene that they're talking about, it's when uh, Nate let Mrs. Collins see the body of her husband, which was had gone, ran under a boat and presumably got chopped up by propellers or, or whatnot. The idea of letting, letting Nate see him, I mean... It's uh, it's such a weird position for Nate to be in. Going back a few episodes, and we're kind of rehashing content here, but the idea of like you would agree with Nate, right? You just kind of let her see her back in episode seven. You know what? In Nate's shoes, I I don't know that I would have done it. Really? Well, I yeah, uh-huh. I, I would I would at least call David and say, okay, Mrs. Collins is here. <laughs> this is what she wants. Yeah, that's true. I need a, I need a second opinion on this. Yeah. Just considering the condition of the body. And, you know, the, the, the stuff like this gets brought up. I've never worked at a funeral home where this has happened, where someone comes back to sue because, while, you know, a mutilated corpse like this is not something I've been a part of, but something just like, I didn't like the way they looked. You know, mm-hmm. they come back. It, it, it's always talked about. Uh, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is, in school, I always thought something like this would have been a lot bigger of an issue. And it, I don't think it's ever happened to me in my career. Just, you know. Going on a funeral director tangent there. And uh, we move to Claire and Parker. They are doing homework or studying whatever in the back of the hearse. And we learned that Claire's aunt, Sarah, gave her mushrooms. Uh, as I've stated on the podcast before, I'm not a big drug person. And <laughs> part, parts of me sometimes wishes I was. Claire having no idea that these are mushrooms. I feel like that's exactly how I would be. You oh know, yeah, just, just looking at this thing like, oh, huh, look at these. These are uh, what did she call them before she realized they were mushrooms? Uh, let's see. I think it was Chinese holistic <laughs> herbal shit or something like that. That's and exactly you know what? what I would have called them. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, Reminds me of a story one time, and this is how I went through my high school year smoking pot, whatever. But uh, I one time in high school bought a bag of oregano, thinking it was weed, for three dollars. <laughs> and then I remember like, oh man, me and my friend were so excited. We got back <laughs> to my house. It's like, that's fucking oregano. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? Uh, that just reminded me of that. Um, we see Nate and Brenda are at Rabbi Ari's uh, to sort of start undergoing counseling to to get married in, in her church and whatnot. And the scene starts out funny. The Just sort of, if, you, if you've seen the way Nate puts his hand on Brenda's thigh and the way she just follows him. Uh-huh. Does like the most robotic, I'm going to acknowledge your hand is here, and then I'm just going to sort of move my hand away. Brenda brings up something important, you know, that what makes Rabbi Ari a marriage counselor if she's never been married. Mm-hmm. I kind of think I'm okay with that. Like, I don't think you have to be have been married in order to be able to counsel it. I feel like you might have a better perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think for Brenda, what she was doing there was she was trying to find a way to disqualify this woman. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. She's you know, kind of like a dog marking her territory. Like, yeah. And what exactly makes you qualified to do this? You know, um, I don't know, but I, I kind of, I mean, I get, I don't know. It's weird if you're now I'm sitting here. Would I rather have a counselor who's been married or not married? 
Um, but yeah, I could see I could see why Rabbi Ari's doing this. Um, you know, when the idea of honesty gets brought up, and I think this is something that Six Feet Under does so well. It, you know, it's an it's an obvious generic moment, but the way Brenda and Nate play play it when they're asked if they're honest with each other. Oh yeah, I love that moment. Like they both laugh uncomfortably. And and like I said, it, it, yeah, yeah, and it's just such a a a generic show, TV show, or even movie moment, you know. But they, just the way they play it is so well. Yeah, and when they did that, when they sort of sort of chuckle a little bit in the back of my head, and this is even in my notes right here, it in big capital letters, run away from each other. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> It's funny when you're saying that. I could do. I could almost do a supercut of every ep- podcast episode I've done so far. That whenever we ever get to Nate, that's it's it's said by either me or the guest at this point. It's like the fuck are you doing? I mean, yeah, seriously. I mean, why are they together? <laughs> I mean, at this point, right? I, I guess. Yeah. I guess you know what? That, that's a good question that I want to bring back at the end of the episode because we kind of see why from Brenda's standpoint. Yeah. Why from from Nate's standpoint? I. I I don't think I've, I'll ever understand, but the idea of, of something uh, normal for Brenda, but we'll, we'll get there at the end. Um, when Brenda and Nate are after this, they're at the, the synagogue, mm-hmm. and Brenda brings up the idea, uh, you know, do we have to be 100% honest with each other? Shouldn't there be some privacy? Uh, you know, I understand why she's saying that, and that, but that is something just, I guess, on a personal level, it's something I always agreed with. Um, you know, just some sort of privacy. You shouldn't have every single... You know, you need some me time in a relationship, despite... Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a quote that I had always liked. Uh, you know, no matter how close two people are, there's an infinite distance between them. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, yeah, that's no matter how close two people can be, there's always just something. Uh, something I jumped over, and like I always say, I have the episode playing in the background, and, you know, just to sort of while we're talking... Uh, Obviously, where we get the, um, the the title for the episode is, you know, when Rabbi Ira asked them, uh, you got to be honest with each other. And that's when they both look down and Nate is... They're wearing the t-shirts. <laughs> yes, Nate is wearing the, the liar shirt and Brenda's mm-hmm. wearing the horse shirt, which is almost ironic because you could almost switch those around and it still is true. Well, yeah, I was, I was actually going to bring that up because, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. Because, I mean, here, you know, Nate could be the whore because of Lisa. Uh-huh. Is that his only other experience on the show this far? Since he's been with uh, Brenda, at least, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lisa is the only other woman that he's been right, with. Right, right. Hmm. But to go back to, like what I said, when they're at the church, uh, we see Nate ironically being the first one to spill the beans about the two of them uh, being honest with each other and reveals that Lisa is pregnant with Nate's child. First, uh, great act by Brenda pulling this shit of how, you know, she's been trying to make herself believe this could work. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh-huh. when when Nate says he did something stupid, Brenda almost has this hopeful look on her face, like, oh, please let it be worse than something that I've done recently, you know? And what what could have it been? I guess I guess to see what happens later on in the episode, what worse could have Nate done? He killed somebody? I, I was going to say, know. besides criminal, because I don't think Brenda has done anything criminal. No, uh, technically she hasn't. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I don't even know. It's funny you say that, because I'm trying to think, like, all right. What if I was Brenda? What could have Nate done worse than what she's oh, done man. so far? You know, almost blindly in front of his face, if that makes sense. You know, I mean, she shows up a uh, uh, late to her bridal party, her her wedding shower from a threesome from the night before, on God knows how many drugs. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, she's <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, you said something about her having raccoon eyes. And, right. Right. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously been out partying all night. <laughs> and not even fun partying. Like, she went out with some friends and had some drinks because she's getting married. Right, right. She's, <laughs> she's, she's been road hard and put away wet. It's amazing. And, and I guess, like, to this point that we're talking, right? Like I said, I, I set it up with Brenda's, like, you know, I've been sitting here trying to, you know, figure out how this could work and, and you know, all this stuff. And the idea where she says, like, when were you planning on telling me this? And, you know, Nate's like, obviously, I'm telling you now, right? Mm-hmm. Everything Brenda has done, right? Like, like 
I, I kind of just jotted down really quick off the top of my head. It, it was the hand job she gave the client, uh, her client, watching Melissa blow someone. The, I guess the threesome we were just talking about from the, the episode before. I could mm-hmm. kind of see how Brenda gets sort of offended because she's been doing her stuff thinking that Nate's a saint. You know, so then when, when you find out that Nate isn't a saint, you know, no one has this this clarity where you're just like, oh, wow, look at that. You're also not perfect. But I'm going to compare it to something that I have yet to admit to you. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, you know, there was just something about that. Uh, let's see. Where am I here? Here are my notes. Uh, the exchange between the two of them. You know, it actually makes me hate Brenda more. Really? Because, I mean, I hate Brenda. <laughs> you know that. I hate her so much. Um, but the thing is, I actually have in my notes here, how dare she judge Nate in that moment after she has been, she's basically been sport fucking her way across LA for who knows how long now. Right. Right. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I, I, I guess, I guess, like I said, if I could, I understand it, why, why she is judging him and why whatever. Cause it's just like, like, you know, it just imagine you're, you're, she's out doing this. And she, you know, she's thinking Nate's sitting home sleeping or, you know, whatever, watching movies, whatever. He's and, reading to blind puppies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's that's what she thinks, right? Like sort of if, yeah. if she's been this, this, like this so far and to kind of have your world flipped upside down to the fact that like, no, he hasn't. He's actually been out screwing people. Obviously not as much as you. Um, I don't know. I kind of get it. Even Brenda's own mother told her not to screw this thing up with Nate. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Because they know, they know like how screwed up this is and... Whatever you want to say about Nate, Nate's probably the most normal, maybe almost the most normal person on the show next to David, I would say. Later, when Rabbi Ari shows up to the Fisher funeral home, she you know, basically invites herself in and they talk about what had happened. I like Rabbi Ari pointing out that Nate is honest with her because there's no stakes. That's yeah. such like a telling moment of, of Nate, you know? You know, it's, it's something about that that, um, that I thought about. I mean... You know this, your listeners don't. I'm gay. And that moment reminded me so much of how straight women open up to gay guys because there's no risk. That's a great point. Uh-huh. You know, and trust me, it's not always a good thing. But, you know, <laughs> it, it reminded me of that same kind of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Ari is not available to Nate, so he feels comfortable. He, he can let his guard down, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. And you know something here because they kind of when 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 her episode was here a couple episodes ago, the scene here where they're sitting on the couch. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's intentionally shot and acted as if she's flirting with Nate, right? Maybe not can, subtle. Maybe not subtle as if like you know she's kind of batting her eyelashes at her, but she definitely ain't. How do I say this? <laughs> she's definitely not flirting with him, right? Well, no, I don't think she's flirting, but you're right. Her body language is very body language. Flirting, there you go. Kind of flirting adjacent. <laughs> right. And like it's not it's not out of realm. Me personally, I don't think it's out of realm to, to for Nate to see this, although he's out of like probably one of the most groundbreaking moments in his life. Uh, maybe groundbreaking's the wrong the wrong term, but he just told his fiance that he has a baby and he has a baby on the way. Like maybe this is not the time to be hitting on uh, a rabbi, but I, I kind of understand why he read it like that. Oh yeah, I can definitely see why he might he might think mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just sort of to my point earlier, if you see here, this is when Nate puts his hand on 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 the rabbi, and she kind of does the same thing, but just has a way different uh, reaction to it, uh, way different meaning when she just kind of takes his hand and you know sort of slips away. I uh, just like how he just you know did the hand thing with both of them. You know, it, it, it's funny because. Um I rewatched the episode even today, you know, preparing to do this. I didn't even notice the hand thing on Ari. Oh yeah. Well, that's the moment. Yeah. That's the moment that it's sort of like that's when Nate is almost trying to make his move. Like if if Rabbi didn't stop her, he you know he probably would have pursued more and more. You know, another hand would have went there, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it just the, the reason why I recognized it is because the way she kind of shrugged it off. But the way she shrugged it off had so much more affection than the way Brenda did. <laughs> and this is Rabbi saying no, whereas Brenda was just sort of, okay, you're my fiance, and this is the role I have to play, and take your hand back, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we see David shows up to Keith's place, and like I said earlier, uh, Keith's parents are visiting. 
Uh, I have to say that the moment when Keith walks in and he just well, right before this, right, David's just sort of doing this uncomfortable talking with with his parents, just how you doing, whatever, and then. Keith just walks in and bam, walks right up to David, kisses him right on the lips. Oh yeah, I mean that was definitely a yeah, like a, a message to the dad, right? You know? I, and I feel like that's oh, yeah. the first time Keith has ever done that in the show this far, where he walks in the scene and it's straight to kiss. Yeah, you know. Well, you know, it's it's basically giving the finger to his dad because he knows that that's a button issue for his dad. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, he did it in spite, and he, it's an intentional. Intentional ploy to make his father uncomfortable. And we see why his parents are visiting, and it's to sort of bring back Taylor with them. Uh, the idea that he could spend more time with her and offer her more stability. I don't. I, I didn't know which way to lend because I don't. I mean, obviously, the the father was. We learned that he was abusive, right? Through through. Oh Ethan yes, de- definitely. Where do you definitely. stand on this, knowing the information we know? Do you think? Because I don't know too. I mean the 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 life Keith kind of lives. Um, I don't know. I imagine he's a full he's a full time working police officer, as we see. Would he have as much time? But then there's also the the wrinkle of the grandfather has all the time in the world, but he's golfing well, all the time. Well, yeah. Uh, David says something about something like he uh, the mom plays with Taylor for five minutes and then pops in a video and the dad's golfing all the time. Right. Right. And you know, at the same time. You, these are retired people. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they they probably live a very quiet life. Yeah. And, you know, is having Taylor around really going to be good for them either? <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so you think you think he should stay with, with Keith, Taylor? <sighs> That's a really hard one. Um, I think that. Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hard I, one. I don't, I don't really like the idea of her going with Keith's parents because of uh, Keith's father's anger issues. Right, right. Um, but at the same time, you know, Keith could be on the job and get shot the next day. Right, you know? right. I, so we have limited. We have we can only, we could kind of only go off of what we know. You know, uh, Keith. Let's just let's presume Keith and David would be raising her. I assume there'd be like a balance and she'd have a, a, a quote unquote normal life. Just, you know, just having two people in her life. And, and I don't know, I guess I guess the idea of being raised by grandparents isn't abnormal. Um, well, no, not really. Right, right. So I don't know. It, it's just it's limited information. and It's information I would need to know more about because, I mean, I understand him being abusive, but is he still abusive? You know, I imagine he's years removed from all of that. Although the idea of sending a nine-year-old to him, that kind of scares me, you know? Well, we see in a later scene that he actually does still have anger That's issues. true. But it might only be directed towards him. I guess, no, your, your, your anger is contained to one person, right? Like, see, and the reason that I don't, that I don't think that it's uh, only directed at Keith is that Carla talks about how yeah. he was abusive to her as well. Yeah. And later on when uh, when Keith confronts his father the look on the mother's face yeah like, t- tells me that no this is who this guy is <laughs> yeah 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 I, I guess you're right I, I kind of I guess right there is the answer right like no she shouldn't go with him he still has it regardless yeah, yeah. I think that I think that Taylor's fine with David and Keith at least until Carla gets out of rehab and <laughs> gets her life back together right right uh the quick moment here when Nate goes to the pre-need case that Rabbi Ari gave him. Uh, we learned that this guy had pancreatic cancer and he's basically on borrowed time because of how strong the cancer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this scene, I don't know, I kind of just took it just the way that the guy talks about how, how lucky he is to still be alive and whatnot and he should have been dead. Uh, this was just, I don't know, because it, it's obviously triggering the, the Nate's AVM sort of thing. Did yeah. you take away anything else from this scene? Because I just... It's not that it didn't fit with this this episode in particular. It was just sort of, I didn't take anything away from it besides the AVM mention. I think that this scene, it's sort of like the Rico storyline a couple of episodes back. It almost feels like an, a scene that belonged in another episode. Yeah, yeah. And they and they moved it. Yeah. Um, something else about Aaron Bruckbinder. I think that's his name. Uh huh. Um, I kind of see him as a living ghost character. I mean, he he's sort of serving the same function as the ghost characters 
do. You that's know, a, that's he's, a great point. Yeah, he's he's reflecting what Nate is thinking about, like you said about the AVM and about how he's on borrowed time, and you know, that's funny. A living and, ghost character. That's a great point. Yeah. And um, let's see his quote here. Uh, what if your whole life has been a waste of waste of time for everyone, including yourself? I mean, I can see Nate thinking that about himself. Yeah, of course, of course. Interesting. Yeah, and that that's what's great about talking about the show is I would have never even gone there. I would have probably, I could have sat here all day, I just would have been like, nope, it's a scene that has no direction and just was kind of put there to be put there, and it's interesting. To talk about now the, the because uh, the, later we see that Rico finds the hot dog lodged in mm-hmm. Mrs. Kirky's throat, and just on the funeral director anger here, uh, like I said, never happened to me. Uh, I have reported cases to the medical examiner when stuff sounded fishy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the most popular, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but the most common causes of death is something like COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or, or just anything dealing with the heart. And then you see like a gash or, or something or there's a there's a bruising up by the head or whatever and you're like wait a second the two of these don't match up that's when you just kind of call the medical examiner you know the funeral director you're sort of playing i don't want to say investigator but it's just like hey is this does this match up uh people always think that funeral directors we kind of also do the autopsies and i think in small towns smaller towns i should say i think that is more common but to Mm -hmm. be a medical examiner you you have to be a doctor like you know you're you're a quote-unquote the doctor of the dead you know yeah, I would have, I would have actually used the word detective. You know, like you said, yeah, uh, yeah, investigator, yeah. detective. Like sometimes you have to fill that role, at least in a a, a small way. Right. Uh, one more thing about that scene, and and then we can move on. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really weird that the investigator didn't know how to pronounce Diaz in <laughs> Los Angeles. I, I, okay. So your point, yes. I, I think you could take away the Los Angeles there. Like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, <laughs> but but seriously, in Los Angeles of all places, right, you know? right, right, and and I can understand this coming from like a twenty year old who's maybe not, you know, maybe been sheltered most of their life, whatever. Yeah, Diaz is pretty goddamn common, you know. Yeah, um, th- that's funny. That's funny you say that. I, I remember watching it too, and it just kind of was like that's weird, and I just kind of uh, bypassed it. Um, but actually, actually, on on on. When Rico finds the hot dog, the thing I actually, as a funeral director, sort of pointed out is because it, it kind of happens often. Uh, right before Rico takes out the hot dog, he takes out her dentures. Uh, something that happens to me, and I wonder if other funeral directors that are listening uh, uh, sort of get this, is families tend to bring the dentures like days later. Like, oh, I hope whatever. Dentures form, you know, shape the mouth. You Literally, you take it out, you get that... I don't know how to describe it. You know, if you just take your teeth out, your your mouth is going to look different. Um, the idea of, <laughs> and it's funny, I'm, I'm doing this like PSA to people who are probably never going to remember it, but you always want to kind of bring the dentures in early as possible because, you know, the funeral director, if if you're embalming and you have a visitation and whatnot, it's something you would sort of need to see. Uh, there's just oh, been yeah. countless times where I get dentures way after the fact to the point where it's I can't do anything with it, you know. Um, See, and I never would have even thought about that, but yeah, right. You're right. right. <laughs> and it just because it happens often, you know, uh, I could have probably in the past week, I get the dentures way after the fact. And maybe I'm stepping over a code here or whatnot, but what we do with them, if we've gotten them, if we get the dentures after the fact, and it's kind of almost too late where the person's already dressed and in the casket, and now we have the dentures, uh, we just sort of put it under the pillow. Mm-hmm. So we don't just throw them out. We just kind of, you know, it's still with the person. They may not be in there, but it's, you know, I'm doing uh, quotation marks here, but it's still with them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would have assumed that that's what you would do. Yeah, yeah. put them in the casket someplace. Right, right. Um, I had a note here just about how how the investigators are investigating Rico. We talked about it, how, how they could not find that this hot dog was lodged in there. I guess to close out, right, Rico and Vanessa's storyline, later on in the episode, Vanessa comes home and, you know, she weirdly blames Rico for this. I found that odd, no? No, I mean, I, I saw it the same way, but, you know, at the same time, I think that she kind of sees his point that, you know, uh, when Rico says something like, what was I supposed to do, cover up a murder so you could keep a shitty job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he makes a good point. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I I guess Rico being the the breadwinner right here, you know, why would he risk that? 
I don't know. I guess if if you weigh the consequences, right? Like Rico was right for what he did, and mm-hmm. if it cost his wife a shitty job, <laughs> what's the big deal? I mean, it could have been a hell of a lot worse, right? Like if she could have been sued for negligence or arrested, right? Like uh, oh, all yeah. things considered. Um, well, I mean, it's like I said before, they don't do CPR correctly at all. <laughs> yeah, they should, I mean, she should have lost her job because of negligence of CPR, let alone the woman yeah. dying. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if CPR would have saved this woman's life, but, you know, at least do it correctly. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and I'm looking, the, the scene's playing right here. I don't even know how Rico figured out to open the mouth and look at, that, lot, that hot dog had to be lodged in there for no one to see it, you know? I don't know. Well, yeah. It's one of those things. I was actually gonna, the show. I was even going to ask you about that. Like he just sort of, he takes out the dentures and he kind of just looks underneath there. Wouldn't he need a light or something? I'm looking at it now. It the hot dog would have to be kind of poking out. Again, just the way if she was laying up with her head up. I I don't I don't know how this happened. Uh and he pulls the whole thing out and it's fucking gross and slimy. But he pulls the whole thing out. I don't even know how it went in there intact. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it would take some doing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we sort of, at this to this point, sort of glossed over uh, the Ruth storyline uh, with Nikolai. And it, it's sort of because, I mean, I, I, I haven't found it too interesting until the end uh, with mm-hmm. Claire. Um, I guess the first point, uh, Ruth at Gary's office, the guidance counselor for Claire, and... She's there to sort of talk about Claire maybe being depressed, and within a short minutes, uh, Gary's able to diagnose Ruth as possibly being di- um, depressed. Uh huh. I guess one thing, and again, we could kind of piggyback with the whole hot dog thing. I don't think it's, I don't know what the word is here, to be able to say maybe Ruth is depressed within that short amount of time talking. Well, yeah, and it's uh, it's not all that unlike the scene with Bernard in the previous episode exactly, where he exactly. where he snap diagnoses Claire. You <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't like how how quickly he was just like. I, I mean, I, I like it for the scene, right? Because it's just mm-hmm. kind of funny. R- Ruth is just so sort of taken aback by it, and I mean, what would you say is Ruth depressed? I would kind of say yes. I would lean towards more yes than I would anything else. Despite everything that's going on, I think that Ruth is sort of having a sort of a stages of life crisis. I don't want to call it a midlife crisis because you know she's in her sixties, but right, um, she's looking at a future where her daughter's going to go to college. One of her sons is getting married, and the other one is spending half the time at the house. Yeah, you know she she's looking for something to grab onto. Yeah, yeah. So you know she may be depressed, but I don't think that it's something that's. Uh, I, th- I think it's something that would ease itself. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. does that make sense at all? No, no, it, it makes sense. Okay. It makes sense. It's not full blown depression, but it's it's gathering steam, I guess I would say. It's uh, sort of like emptiness syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. More than it is depression. And we see later that Claire is sort of egging Ruth on about taking care of a man who <laughs> doesn't need taking care of, or rather, it's not her place to. Mm-hmm. You know, and Ruth defensive saying she takes care of him because he needs it, which sort of leads to the scene where Yuri comes in asking for the money and Ruth offers to pay it. Um, uh-huh. I guess we're piggybacking scene, a couple of scenes here. We're, we're gathering together. Uh, if I'm doing a podcast and, you know, we're sort of nitpicking the show where we kind of laughed at the, the investigator couldn't say Diaz right. Uh, mm-hmm. Why does Ruth have this amount of cash with her? You know, I made a note about that because, you know, how much how much does he owe you? $87,000. Well, give me a second. And she's she doesn't get even blink an eye. It's not like he said 20 bucks and it's like, oh, let me just get out my wallet. He says 87000 and she goes, well, hold on. And she just grabs her bag. She was carrying that. She carried that yeah. from the bank to work. Yeah, in my notes, I, I literally have Jesus exclamation mark. <laughs> Is she insane walking around LA with that much cash on her? And she had more. <laughs> to, so, oh so yeah. Or to assume she probably took out a hundred thousand. Oh yeah, she did. Yeah, she didn't even have all. She didn't even give him all the money. There was still plenty left in the bag. <laughs> and what's funny too, and what 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 we're, what we were both bypassing is she fucking paid it. She paid oh, eighty-seven thousand yeah. on behalf of Nikolai. God and bless Ruth. 
and didn't blink an eye. Yeah, it wasn't. That number could have been 187, and she still would have had the same reaction where, let me just turn around and get it. Yeah, it didn't even, it was not even a, a, a thought. Any number could have came out, and Ruth was just going to turn around and give it. I mean, insane. <laughs> and, and my other favorite thing about that scene is uh, when he's on the way out, Yuri says he would have taken a check. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder too, like there's some discount if he owes 87, but you have the cash, maybe just make it eight. Like, yeah, she didn't even bargain with him. Like, hey, how about no. I give you 70 right now? And let me, you know, take home 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we see, uh, to tie this into the David and Nate storyline, we find out that Mitzi from Kroner is behind Miss Collins uh, suing the Fishers. Uh, to sort of piggyback earlier in the episode, uh, the scene where David essentially goes to the lawyer's office just to kind of be told he's fucked. Yeah. To have an air case, whatever. Uh, there's sort of where after where David's like, you know, and aren't I allowed to be pissed? Uh, that scene where David freaks out at Nate, where, you know, they're quote-unquote in public and he's just like you know you fucked us david you fucked us oh yeah i love that i love i love those little moments where david gets to crack open his shell and sort of just lash out you know yeah i i love david as a character because he's so quiet and reserved but when he blows up he blows up yeah and And i I, I uh love those moments and i i always say it too is you could see the groundwork here of the the Dexter character, I, I I believe you hadn't seen Dexter, right? Or maybe you caught a few episodes. Oh, my first watch through Six Feet Under. No, I hadn't seen Dexter yet. No, I'm just saying now, now because. Well, oh yeah, I've I've seen all of Dexter. I love Dexter. Because now now you could kind of see the groundwork for that Dexter character where he's always reserved, and then when he kind of snaps out, it's like oh shit! Like that moment right there when David freaks out, I would not want to talk to him. Like I'm scared of him. But for the most part, I feel like he's always approachable. But that moment there is like, holy shit! You know, there is something underneath. Yeah, that dark passenger sort of right, right thing. It comes out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Even later in the episode too, which we'll talk about when he just sort of, you know, puts on this really dark face and just sort of uh, blows up Miss Collins. Oh yeah. But to just scale back a little bit, I don't know how the connection was made, where Mitzi is behind the suing. Of the Fisher funeral home, D- did you take a moment to think about that, or did that not even process to you? Uh, I hadn't thought about that, but you know, it's probably one. Of, it's probably a situation where Mitzi has been keeping tabs on the Fishers, and just what and I guess something like this is public knowledge, and and she was probably just waiting and monitoring like what cases they were working. And I'm just guessing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, if she, she's got such a vendetta against Fisher and Sons, it wouldn't surprise me at all. That makes sense. That's something I hadn't thought of. That. She's whatever, just always keeping an eye on anything Fisher funeral home related, and I guess you know with a corporation like this, anytime this comes across her desk, they probably swooped in and got her lawyers involved. Yeah, uh, but we see here this is where the Fishers come to Ruth to take some money out to sort of settle out of court, and mm-hmm. where it ties together is you know <laughs> we've seen that uh, Ruth has given uh, eighty seven thousand to Yuri, but. but- Mm-hmm. I love the part in the scene where uh, where they they say no, we don't have the money anymore, and Ruth makes a very good point. Yeah, you only you only come to me when you need money, <laughs> and it's totally true. Yeah, yeah, that's the only time. Because uh, what was it? I think it was last season. Is when they came to her for a loan. Yeah, right. they needed to make some. They needed to make some upgrades on the funeral. Home. Right, and that's that's. Sort of asked him, and she had gone to the uh, the the racetrack, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you say that. But we see David goes to visit Mrs. Collins, and what I would kind of parallel it to last season when David baring his teeth at uh, Gillardi. Oh yeah, in the first few episodes, um, and just sort of like we were talking, like that that Dexter character, that that um, that groundwork. You know, he just lashes out at Miss Collins. But he, but he does it quietly right up until the end when he actually <laughs> right. yells at her. It's this really dark look on his face. And yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's, it's, it's that dark passenger sort of thing, you know? And yeah. I, li- I love, I think one of my favorite moments in this episode was he, David takes like four seconds to compose himself before he says it. And mm-hmm. I just love the, that it's like four seconds where he's like, all right. I'm going to verbally break this girl down, this girl, this woman down right now. And then he just goes into how, you know, it doesn't need to be said about how 
she let her husband abuse him and whatnot, and now he's just doing this to you know sort of yeah. It's it's not our fault that you let your husband you know yeah. Uh, when David finishes, or, or I guess he rather gets interrupted, where Mrs. Collin tears up the lawsuit, uh, mm-hmm. even David has this shocked look on his face. <laughs> it always felt like he like was out of body experience, or he's just going on and on, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh shit!" Like it worked, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I don't even think that was a strategy. I think that it was just him venting, and it just happened to work. I yeah, I I think uh, uh, to take your point, I think. That was like his last last effort, where he tried to be the noble person, whatever. And then I I felt like he was like, well, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get all these words out that I need to get out because what's the point? Like, what what, what are we gonna get sued? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah, and I, that's why I think he just has that moment of like, oh shit! Like, look at that. Yeah, I I always love the the David uh, breaking out of the shell moments. But to hop back to the Keith storyline with Taylor, uh, like we were just talking over, Keith goes to visit Carla in jail to consult with her over the decision of letting the parents take Taylor, um, mm-hmm. which is somewhat weird because she's in jail for neglect. No, she's in jail because she uh, the hit and run. No, no, no. I know, no. But what I'm saying is like, like, oh. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I guess, I guess, in my head that made sense. Like, she's in jail, but she's also widely neglected Taylor, mm-hmm. and just was a terrible mother overall and the idea of like keith going to consult her about it i guess it is her daughter right so you kind of do have to let her in but it didn't sound like he was there to tell her it sounded more like he was there to converse about it i think he was looking for just like something just something one way or the other like great do that or don't do that right yeah, and, and I think, you know, at the same time, she is Carla's, uh, not Carla, uh, she is Taylor's mother. Right, right. So, you know, it, it it's it's a courtesy to say, okay, look, here's what's happening. These are, the, these are the decisions that we're having to make. This is what I think. This is what David thinks. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, but here, a really great comment that Carla makes, you know, they're kind of talking about how abusive he was and whatnot. Uh, and just a comment that, you know, people don't change, they just get older. Yeah, I wrote that down too. That's a, it's just a great quote about it, um, and we see she's right because you know just the way he sort of, you know, um, lashes out at Keith. Uh, a few scenes later, when, when Keith and David are in bed, David, you know, he's kind of gathering confidence and telling people how it is. Sort of, he becomes almost a truth teller in this episode, right? Mm-hmm. And, and here, when he's kind of brutally honest with Keith in ways we haven't really seen. He starts to sort of play the you're afraid of your father card. Oh, yeah. And he has that comment, too, also, where he's like, hey, you can treat me like a doormat, and that's fine, but don't let him treat you like one. Of all this, Keith is almost more offended by that than anything else that's going on. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's when Keith actually says, fuck you to David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, touched a nerve. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, like, yeah, David's right. <laughs> I, I guess I guess we could close out their their storyline here because when they're at dinner, this is when Keith finally decides to tell David, uh, his father, that he's keeping Taylor. Something I had thought of when this scene happened, uh, you know, Keith, I, I, even at the age he is now, could probably kick my ass with one hand. You know, he's just oh, mine too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> both of us at the same time with one hand. Um, but that quick moment where. Keith's father looks like he's about to do something. I was more afraid of the father. You know, I just, I, I seen, I, I saw the years of abuse in that moment, you mm-hmm. know, where he's just like, there, there, there's a slight, um, God, I'm blanking out on the word here. Things are, things are going somewhat against what he thinks. And all he knows is violence uh, on the yeah. father's behalf, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. there, you know, Keith, I always love these moments in shows, and there's a few of them in Six Feet Under that we'll, we'll get to later, later on in later seasons. Uh, but Keith just sort of like goes, I know, I dare you. There was years of struggle that came to this moment, right? Like uh-huh. that, that was a that was a long time coming to, to come to that moment. Yeah, and, and I guess we're because is that, is that where it ends off? Because we're just to presume that Keith keeps Taylor, right? Yeah, I think that because uh, that's the last we see of them. At least for this episode. Doesn't the father say something like, you know, let's go? Yeah, yeah, right? I guess they kind of exit stage left and they're out, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I love the look on David's face when looking at Keith <laughs> after having had this really strong moment with his father. Right. Because right. you know it's not quite that he's proud, but it, but that there, there's there's certainly pride in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say I would say he's proud in a weird kind of way, not in a you did great on your test today, but uh, like there yeah, you go, fucking standing up for yourself. Yeah, I think it was a combination of being proud and sort of being shocked. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. Claire and uh, something else that I kind of skipped out until sort of later on in the episode that uh, Claire and Parker are doing their shrooms <laughs> from earlier in the episode. I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, reading up on shrooms, this seems rather close to how it is. Like I always say on this show, I, I feel like Six Feet Under does dreams and drugs so well. Mm-hmm. Claire being Claire, she just wants to be creative and create, and they're making halter tops and <laughs> and the jingling pants. Or I mean, for a rather dark episode, because we haven't even touched upon what happens to Brenda, but for a rather dark episode in Six Feet Under, it manages to create one of the funniest moments on this show. Uh, just to sort of set it up, Claire is making these uh, these Harlequin pants that have bells on them. <laughs> It's like patchwork. <laughs> they're, they're not even like proper pants. It's like she's made these pants out of pieces of cloth. <laughs> but it's so sad and so funny when, when, when Ruth comes into the room and, and Claire's like, I made these for you. And Ruth is so happy. Uh, it's I don't know if it's the directly the next scene or it's like they kind of jump two scenes later. But... <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it. Where Ruth where walks, in, all, yeah, when she sobered up, yeah, and Ruth walks into the scene wearing the pants. And the bells are yeah. jingling. Oh, just a, a great comedy for such a dark episode. And she's wearing these fucking disgusting, ugly pants. <laughs> and I love, I love the when Claire sees the the pants, sees that Ruth is wearing them. She goes, "Oh God, those are hideous." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just so funny, so funny. And, and again, uh, the moment too, right? Um, when she's at the flower shop and Nikolai sees Ruth and Nikolai sort of lashes out, calls her a stupid woman for giving her that. Um, I, I guess sort of to talk about this and we'll get back to the pants. I get why he's upset being a uh-huh. man, you know, uh, of this culture, I would say. He doesn't appreciate being taken care of in this manner. Uh-huh. To Ruth, I mean, how soul crushing could that be? What did you think about how Nikolai reacted to to the money? Well, I think his pride has been hurt. You know, he wanted to handle it on his own. And this, I don't even know what what his relationship with, with Ruth is at this point. Are they boyfriend, girlfriend? Or are they, you know, I, like... Yeah, I feel like they're in that, that muddle, and I'm not saying the wrong word, they're in that muddled stage where it's just like, who knows what the fuck we are. Yeah, I think that if they had been in an actual relationship... That, that was that, that was that was significantly stronger. Like if they were even married, mm-hmm. I think his reaction would maybe be different. Mm-hmm. But he has just spent the last I think Claire says six weeks. Yeah, yeah. At Ruth's house, he's he's tired of her right now, and on top of having his pride hurt and not being able to handle it himself, he's probably just annoyed with her in general. Yeah, yeah. You know, we sort of see that Ruth goes on about how you're supposed to take care of family, and Robbie sort of hits her with this reality. Which I guess is at this point is almost the theme of this episode, just the the, the honesty to hit someone mm-hmm. with. You know, Robbie just says, "I didn't know Nikolai was family," and you know, Ruth just kind of takes that. And again, I guess this is where we could bring the pants back in. She walks uh-huh. out of scene, and the the bells are jingling, and she's wearing these fucking pants again. What I love most about that scene, uh, specifically with her and Robbie is uh, he calls her codependent, and she reacts like she's never been told that before. <laughs> Surely that is not the first time someone has accused her of being codependent. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, she, she can't even... Stu- she, yeah, she's like flabbergasted. It's like she heard a foreign language hearing the word mm-hmm. codependent. A moment I wanted to touch upon with this, this Ruth and Claire storyline. Uh, Claire, uh, her storyline sort of ends when she's with Gary the Counselor. And there's a moment where it gets brought up that Gary and his girlfriend are broken up. Mm-hmm. They make it a point to have this conversation. And my question is, why? What did it add? I guess to add to the, um, the, the pre-need, vic- uh, pre-need person for, for Nate, 
I don't know. Did, did you that strike you as odd at all? Or, or am I missing what that was supposed to... You know, if not for that moment, I probably wouldn't have even made notes about that scene. And again, if, if, if he... If that... Yes. And if that didn't get brought up, I probably would have completely bypassed it. He accuses Claire of having a thing for him a few episodes ago. Right. I, I think that he might actually like Claire. And, and that's why he brought up the fact that he and his girlfriend broke up. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's something, right? Um, well, yeah, because cause otherwise, you're, you're right. What's the point? Yeah. I just, I didn't know what the point, but the thing is, too, is like they made it a point, which yeah. means they, 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 they wrote it out and they acted it out and they shot it. So there's a reason why it's here. I just don't know what it was. Uh, it just seems to be just a, a passing moment that I don't know what the consequences are, so. At the end of that scene, though, uh, they kind of had this exchange. Do you want to say anything else? No. Do you want me to talk about anything else? A little part of me wanted to have, wish they had had Claire's actually ask him, were you having sex with Parker? And that's what broke up your relationship. Because <laughs> because it is established that Parker is is sleeping with at least one of her teachers. Yeah. Some vocational teacher, they say, they bring up in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's a good point. Uh, to close out our episode, uh, Nate is home with Ruth. And, you know, they're sort of talking, Ruth is asking about the wedding, and Nate says how there might not be a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Ruth, the normal response, I guess, what, well, rather, let me take that back. With anyone, the normal response would be what happened. But mm-hmm. with Ruth, it's what did she do? Uh, I found sort of, you know, that's an interesting... Well, uh-huh. well I, think, I think that Ruth kind of figured out at the bridal party. Right, that, right. That... Brenda is probably not the best person in the world. Yeah, 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 and definitely fair to say, right? Uh, so I don't think it—I don't think it was her just wanting to take Nate's side. I think her her spidey sense has been going off. Like <laughs> maybe this isn't the person for Nate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? And after many attempts at trying to make Claire food, and so that she finally gets to make Nate a grilled cheese sandwich. Uh-huh. And we hear the doorbell ring, and it's Brenda. Here is where I wanted to bring up that threesome scene, which, mm-hmm. man, I, I'm sort of racking my brain, and I'm going going on that this uh, off the cuff. This is probably one of the the I don't want to say creepiest. I don't even want to say saddest. Maybe darkest moments in the show this far, unless I'm bypassing mm-hmm. something. Where uh, I guess to set it up, right? Brenda's outside smoking, and these two sort of surfer dudes walk up, ask her if she has any more. And Brenda just walks into her bedroom in, in an inviting way, and they both come there, and they, they sort of, without saying anything, nothing gets said, right? Oh, yeah, she just walks away, peels off her shirt, and they're like, hey. If I know. was the surfer dudes, I'd be like, okay, I'm going somewhere else. I, I, yeah. No way would that be an invitation to sex <laughs> with my friend, nonetheless. Um. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, what I would have done in that situation... I would have walked up to the to the door. I would have locked it, and I would have closed the <laughs> yeah. door, and then I would leave. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. she even leaves the door open. Right. I mean, just fucking crazy. Yeah. And the scene just sort of cuts to one of the dudes is smoking on the bed, and mm-hmm. the other is just hammering away at Brenda. Yeah, uh, just giving it to her. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to say she's comatose, but she's not. She's not enjoying it. Right. And and that's what got me to thinking. It's like. Brenda's usually the instigator, the, the the initiator, right? She's usually the one who starts these, and she's always having like a good time doing it. You could see like like the 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 joy or the wrongness in what she's doing, and she's enjoying it. But here, it it, it sort of I, I kind of struggled with the term here because it's not something that should be talked about lightly. But it's almost like a welcomed rape, like like to sort of I don't know, just her face when she's uh, receiving it. Is 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 awkward? I think that I think for Brenda, the fact that she did this and that she's experiencing it and she's not enjoying it, I think it's like when any addict, like in the in the beginning, they're enjoying the hell out of it, and then the high starts to it starts to taper off, and then it's just something you're doing. Yeah, I, I sort of closely yeah uh, drug addiction. Like you're yeah. not even doing this to enjoy yourself; you're just doing it to fulfill an addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, that's the moment when, because she, she has this little flashback about how her mother was having these sex parties, and when she's, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, when she's getting drilled by this fucking surfer dude. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that, that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. And man, thank God I could curse on this podcast now because I don't even know how I would talk about this. She sees her her younger self, her her, 
you know, her 10 year old self that she's sort of looking at. And yeah, just it's, it's her obsession or her compulsion, her addiction has completely taken over her life in a, uh, I guess what I say disastrous, um, um, what's the word I would say where she's not even enjoying it. I mean, I guess I'm kind of just rehashing what we just said, but she's not even enjoying it. It's not even a thrill. It's just something she's doing just because it needs to be done for her. Yeah. I mean, in, and if you can look at the sort of rise and fall of, of Brenda this season, I think this is what you would call her rock bottom. I think even she realizes, okay, this isn't cool anymore. You know what's so funny about that? And like I was saying before, where you say almost every episode, I, I, I said, well, you know, guys run the fuck away from each other. Shit, I think Sean Fallon in one of the episodes, I think she he literally says what you said word for word, like run the fuck another way. Uh, almost every episode I've said this has been rock bottom. The, the hand job, I was like, wow, this is really getting out of control now. And, you know... Yes, I, I guess I guess of, of every time if I had to put money down, this is I don't know how much further you can go because she doesn't have a drug addiction. She doesn't have a money problem. She has a, a, a sexual addiction, I guess I could. Yeah, say. yeah. So, yes, uh, sex addiction. Um, it, it, yeah, it, you can get addicted to sex. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. And I guess she's been lucky thus far that she hasn't been hurt. Right. Because when, when you're inviting into this world, you do have to be careful where. And one of these fucking dudes wanted to, I guess, actually rape her. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, and and they're two young guys, you know. Yeah. Once she, once they got in that house, they could have done anything to her. Anything, anything, yeah. But uh, again, like I said, Brenda comes in, and she's the one who rang the doorbell uh, to close out our episode. And her like acceptance of Nate, I, I guess, is so odd because you know she's like as fucked up as you are. You are the sanest thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's what? She's like a day away from getting banged out by these two dudes. Um, well, my understanding was that it was the same night. That oh my she actually, God. That she actually left her house and went to Nate. Now, that's my understanding. That might not be what actually happened. I mean, I'm, I have the episode now and I, we're, I'm seeing towards the end of it. I don't think you're wrong. Like, yeah, I think she showered. I mean, I hopefully she showered, and she walked over to the to the funeral home. Oof, yeah. And I, I guess I guess the takeaway from here is that she's still not admitting what's happening. Like she's not pulling her end of the honesty. And I guess how <clears> could <throat> she? Right? How could she come to Nate and be like, "You were the most sanest thing in my life, by the way. I've been given hand jobs, threesomes, and all this." Uh, yeah, I don't know how much to to add to her you know, her, her point at this point. The thing about Brenda in that scene where she says that she forgives him for having sex with Lisa, people make mistakes. I think she even says, you know, that's where I want to say, Oh no, 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 no. I, 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 I kind of feel bad for her because this is, you know, I mean, what she's doing is obviously wrong, but she is so out of control at this point that, you know, it's at this point, it's almost not even her fault. Yeah, it's like taking over. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I want to say no, no. Just, just, just get away from each other, please. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's interesting. I mean, I know how the storyline unfolds, but I don't know what breaks it. I don't know what, because this can't keep going on. Something has to turn, and I don't remember what's like the, the crack in the case, you know? Um, you know, I don't want to say it because yeah, I, know you yeah, don't like, yeah. I, I know you don't like spoilers, but I think it happens in the next episode. Oh, that's actually that's actually awesome then. Cause, I mean, you've been fucking waiting for the breaking point for yeah. a season now, you know? Um, but, David, that sort of wraps up our episode. Is there anything no, I, I glossed over, anything that you want to touch upon? Because, like I said, uh, I, I sort of backloaded the, the Claire and Ruth storyline you know, sort of to the end. So if there's anything I passed over. Uh, you know, I mean, I made notes for the entire episode, so I could go, we could do a whole other episode just on the <laughs> stuff that we didn't cover. But no, I mean, nothing steers out like glaringly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, that ends our episode. If you have nothing to add to it, David, I guess we could sort of wrap it up here. All right. Um, we have our episode we'll be discussing next week, which is episode 12. And now I'm fucking really excited to watch this episode because I guess this is where you say is the breaking point. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Digging Podcast. You can check us out on Facebook. We are at Digging Six Feet Under. Uh, shoot me an email. I'm at Digging Six Feet Under at gmail.com. If you're listening to this live, meaning you're listening to this uh, April 17th, uh, please send me an email if you want to be a guest on the show. I'm trying to fill up some of 
of season three. Uh, shoot me an email. I'll let you know what episodes are taken. And if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy the podcast uh, and you want to come on and talk about a specific episode, please let me know. I like doing these podcasts with other people. I get differing points, you know, and we always provide good conversation. So uh, definitely shoot me an email if you want to be on Uh, episode 12 next week, which is I'll take you. And that's it. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.